right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of The Teardown. My name is Jeff Gluck, and I'm along with my co-host, Jordan Bianchi. We are motorsports writers here at The Athletic, and today we are here to talk about the Daytona Road Course Race, the second race of the Cup Series season, at least points race. And uh, Jordan was on site in Daytona to witness this race today. I have returned home to Colorado on baby watch, so won't be at a race for quite a long time. But uh, Jordan, you were able to stick around there in Daytona, and you got to watch the race from the press box. So uh, first of all, how, how's it going? It is good. Uh, I miss you. I miss doing this in person with you. But I thought we had a great race today. This was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a weird race because I think for about three-fourths of it, you know, Chase Elliott was leading it, you know, quite comfortably. And I remember about one point I'm like, what the heck am I going to write about? And I thought, well, maybe I'll write something about what is it like to lose to Chase Elliott all the time, you know, repeatedly on a road course. And then it just got weird, I guess, in the last, what, 20, 30 laps or whatever it was. What a wild race full of twists and turns. I was thoroughly entertained. A uh, lot to discuss. Well, I'm starting to think you're a guy that likes to watch the world burn because during the... Uh, no, you just figured this out now. <laughs> during the truck race, which I thought was a terrible race, one of the worst races I've seen in quite a long time, truck race on uh, Friday night, you tweeted, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm really entertained. And I was like, what <laughs> is he talking about? Now, the Xfinity race, I thought that was fantastic and very entertaining. Uh, this one, probably somewhere in the middle for me because... Um, it, like you said, it was it was going to be a Chase Elliott runaway um, in, in all it, it seemed certainly seemed like until this they throw this caution for rain. And then it really, really got crazy after that. And that really changed a lot of fortunes, uh, which I you know, I've seen a lot of people on, on Twitter. My mention seemed to be quite upset about that. That caution was called in the first place. Maybe they're they're Chase Elliott fans. Maybe they're fans of somebody else. But um you know, that, that really did change the entire outcome of the race because it was one of those, you know, not to be too cliche, but cautions breed cautions moments. And I mean, the, the whole dynamic was completely turned upside down after that. It was. And how, how do you feel about that caution? I, I don't have a problem with it. I was looking at the track and, and turn two was pretty dark uh, on the surface. It, there was rain kind of accumulating there. And NASCAR's protocols in these instances and in road course races is to throw caution to give everyone a chance to make a decision whether to, to go to a wet setup or not. I understand why you wouldn't want to caution, but I don't I don't have a problem with it the way it was. What are your what are your thoughts? Well, I was listening to the NASCAR officials channel right at right at that time, and they said you know uh, you know they kept they kept asking race control kept asking to the, the spotters around the track. Okay. You know, is, is the track changing color, you know? And then one guy, you know, they kept saying no, no. And one guy comes on and says, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm down here and turn whatever. And the track is getting darker and it's definitely changing shades and that, you know, it, it was starting to get a little bit wet there. So, you know, it, it wasn't like it was just, I mean, obviously it's, it's a big track and, you know, it wasn't like this big rainstorm swept through. So I'm, I'm kind of torn on it. Um, you know, obviously this isn't, something we've seen too often um with with especially in the cup series right i mean it's been hardly ever that they've had to put rain tires on at all obviously and nobody put rain tires on this time it just was a caution to, that ultimately bunched things up and changed the pit strategy and uh pin chase elliott back and and all this kind of thing so you know i i don't know it's it's tough i i guess you know putting that aside for the reason um, that caution could have been for anything, let's say. Like, let's just say somebody had spun off track, they called a caution or whatever, right? And it just goes to show you how quickly these road races can just dramatically, dramatically change. Um, and, and I think that's going to be a, a, a recurring theme all year because I have really no doubt that the next time, you know, we, we see NASCAR come to a road race, Chase Elliott's going to be the favorite again. He's probably going to have the fastest car again. Martin Truex Jr. is going to be right there, and he's going to be challenging him. But it's sort of like those those are those two guys are the class of the field. They have the best cars, and then it's going to be like, okay, well, you know, is something crazy going to happen, or are they just going to race straight up and win? I think there's going to be, you know, there's so many road races this year. Sometimes it's going to be it's just going to play out naturally. Sometimes it's going to be a total chaotic race like this one today. Um, I mean, you can certainly argue that Chase Elliott was well on his way to winning his fifth straight road course race. 
and uh, it's it's tough. I I don't really know where to land on it, but I guess what everything that happened certainly made it it highly watchable. It, it did, and it was interesting. I think that Chase Elliott wouldn't have a problem. Martin Truex Jr. had an issue with there at the end, and that caution. I think he was in a really good spot to to get track position and go for the win, and he got you know he wheel hopped it going to turn one and spun out. And to me, what jumped out to me today was how many different guys, their fortunes kind of ebbed and flowed. I mean, Brad Keselowski had a, a day today that was just up and down and all over the place. And he even said, we, we talked to him post-race, and he, he said, like, I was hoping to finish 15th. You know, he leaves with a top five finish. Michael McDowell on lap one has a tire issue, and, you know, his day looks like it's going to you know down the drain. And he ends up finishing in the top ten. So And Kurt Busch, I mean, Kurt Busch is leading and spins himself out and it looks like his day is is shot and he ends up coming back and having a having a good finish too so just a weird day with, with just just a wild swing of, of different things yeah it's like i mean at one point there uh you were looking at the restart order and you're like that guy's had a problem today that guy's had a problem that guy's <laughs> had a problem and it's just like wow who is you know how does this happen but um i think this is you know this this race was you know, sort of embodies why road course racing popularity has risen to be honest with you because and, and as Keselowski put it after the race it's you know the, these cars are so they, they drive so bad and they're so you know difficult and, and awful to drive these big heavy stock cars around these road courses that aren't made for stock cars um, you know it, it creates a lot of mistakes I mean even from the world class best drivers there's so many mistakes and with this rules package unlike the one we saw uh, last August I mean, the mistakes even increased even more, right? Because it was even that much harder yeah. to drive. And Night and day difference between this race and what we saw in August. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, but so that makes it very compelling. I mean, as Christopher Bell put it, the, the restarts themselves can get super speedway-ish. So those are insane. And then even when they get spread out, you know, like with like you were talking about with Kurt Busch leading, you know, oh, it's Kurt Busch. He's he's you know putting some distance. Whoa, he just completely sailed off the track. Like, what is going on? I'm still not sure how that happened. By the way, that was one of those wrecks. I looked at it and I kept watching the replay, going, "How in the hell did that happen?" Yeah, I mean, I think he just hit you know the the left side tires on on one yeah. of the curbs, and it just got him out of shape just enough. Um, but it's it's so wild and unpredictable. You can't even predict what the damage is going to be when somebody goes off course. I mean, sometimes. You know, a guy goes into the grass one foot and it completely blows up his car. Other times, you know, like the Kurt Busch situation or like Chase Elliott, you know, going off course and, and saving it, you know, like six times in, in one straightaway, uh, <laughs> you know, they can somehow save it. Ty Gibbs in the Xfinity race, he yeah. goes off course on the restart and you're like, oh, well, he's done. And he wins. You know, it's just. Yeah. It's, and Kyle Busch today. Kyle Busch goes through the grass and right? he just rips off the front of his car and he's another guy too his days just start a uh, lap one just went horrible uh comes back he's running top five for a good chunk of the race and you're like what the heck and then his day just went sideways at the end there yep so it's it's really you know i think this is such a such an interesting dynamic because this is the nascar style of racing on road course i i'm trying to find the right words here obviously but you're not going to see this type of racing in F1 or IndyCar on the road courses, right? Like the reason people like those races be, is because they race hard. It's, you know, it's straight up, right? I mean, there's very few cautions. They try everything not to full, not to throw full course yellows. You know, it's really about strategy and stuff like that. These are really about, you know, the show, the entertainment, the unpredictability, the chaos, um, and that's, you know, really what NASCAR has, has built itself on in recent years. And that's why I say these, these races embody everything that that's about. So, you know, in, in some aspects you, you sort of want to go, ah, oh, man, like, I, I don't know if I like this because, you know, the best cars aren't, aren't winning the race and, um, you know, and, and it's, it turns it into a little bit of a circus, but on the other hand, you're like, well, I sure I'm entertained, you know, like I, that sure was interesting to watch. I, I wasn't bored. You know what I mean? So now whether that makes a, for a good race, I guess it's, it's in the eye of the beholder, but it's just, it's so interesting to me. And, and obviously the fact that they're going this direction more with the seven road courses in, in one year, um, you know, it's, 
There's a lot more wildness to come, Jordan. How you ready for an analogy? Let's go for it. All right. So you were talking about Formula One and IndyCar on road course racing, and that's like a nice restaurant. You kind of know what you're going to get. You know, you got to you know put on your best. You're going to look good. And, you know, the food's going to be good. The service is going to be good. There's going to be no issues with the clientele. NASCAR on road course racing is like a dive bar. It's going to be rough. It's going to be tumble. You're probably going to, you know, see some things you probably are going to want to forget the next day. You don't know if you really want to use the bathroom because you don't know what the heck is going on in there. It is just a wild affair, and I think it's entertaining. I think that's the, the big thing with these races is you don't know what you're going to get. And they remind me of a lot of respects of super speedway racing and i can't believe i'm going to credit him for this because i'm never going to hear the end of it but i thought nascar chasm had a really good point on twitter he's like you know they're not much different in terms of the carnage it's just it's just it's you know super speedway racing it happens all at once on a road course race it just happens incrementally yeah no that's fair i mean short track racing you can kind of extend the the same approach but you know where i thought you were going to go with your your restaurant analogy before you said the dive bar I thought you were gonna say. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say that IndyCar and F1 were like the nice restaurant and all that stuff where you know what you're gonna get, and yeah, yeah. NASCAR uh, on a road course is like going to Chuck E. Cheese, <laughs> <laughs> where you get like the <laughs> you get the mouse singing, you get to eat, you're entertained, you know, you're like play some games, you know, it's it's uh, you know, you're like it's not the best food, but you know, you're you're like, well, that was fun. <laughs> you, know, you go home, might have a stomachache later a little bit, but you're like, oh, that was, that was good. I'd do that again, you know? Uh, I got to be honest with you. I don't hang on. I don't have kids. I don't hang on Chuck E. Cheese too much. Well, I haven't been in quite a while, but I'm just projecting <laughs> that that was soon. the experience. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah, so <laughs> it's just uh, it, it's just crazy. But let's, you know, speaking of crazy, I mean, look, man, like, gosh, we try to make so many predictions, right? About, like, <laughs> and you know, for, for, I will say both of us had Christopher Bell making the good playoffs, for a while. You know, yeah, so we, yeah. it's not like before we were like, oh, now we have two guys in the playoffs that we never saw coming. I mean, we thought Bell was going to make it. I just didn't, you know, for him to win on a road course, no, I didn't think that. For him to win the second race of the season, no, didn't think that. I don't think I, I'm pretty sure I didn't think he was going to win. I think he, I thought he would make it on points. You know, I see. I had him winning at least. I think I had him winning twice this year. Okay, well, you got but one not, right there. I mean, that's the thing too is the, the kind of the talk after the race was all you know two surprise winners, and it's like I don't think this changes anything. I don't think his win changes anything. I had him in the playoffs. Um, I think he's a very good driver. He's made big, you know, throughout his career, he makes big leaps from year one to year two. I think he's with a crew chief in Adam Stevens who is very, very good. The only active crew chief with multiple championships. Um, I think that if you look at what his his skill set is, it sets up very well, and he's a little bit underrated on the road courses. So you talk about predictions. We look good for a while. I mean, Truex and, and Elliott were <laughs> were doing everything they were supposed to do today, and then it just – I would have never guessed that Bell's first win was going to come on a road course, though. Well, now you sound sort of like what Denny Hamlin said after the race, which is that you know 95% of people who really know the sport – would have had Bell in the playoffs one one way or the other, so you know it doesn't change anything. I, I actually disagree in the fact that I, I do think it changes something. I think it changes the points bubble um, in a big way because, in in my opinion, like I said, I think he was going to make the playoffs, but he was going to be one of the guys that makes it on points. So um, for him to be locked in with a win, that the, the, the points bubble is really, really going to be moved up. And I'm not saying he's not going to have um, a good season, but I think when, you know, by the end of 26 races, if you look at it points wise, not playoff standings wise, but he's probably going to be somewhere, I don't know, maybe around like 14th in points, 15th in points. He would have been, I think, one of those guys around there. Maybe he'll maybe he'll do better, like you said. I mean, he's off to a good start. But I think I think that changes things just in, you know, uh, I think it was Hamlin or maybe it was I, I one of the people we talked to at the end of the race said, you know, pretty much you're going to have to have a win now to make the playoffs. You're going to have to start thinking that way. Um, you know, we've seen so many guys over the years where, okay, yeah, they get to, you know, 12th in points. They feel pretty good about, um, you know, their chances, even if they don't win. But, uh, you know, guys like, you know, let's say, let's say a William Byron. Um, yeah, 26th in points right now. Well, yeah, and not, not even to mention the start they've got off to. But I'm just saying that's a guy who I would think would be on the bubble by playoff time. Bubba Wallace would be like a, a bubble type guy. Um, 
you know, maybe a Matza Benedetto, right? Those are the the guys that thirty third in points for him. Yes, yes, for sure. But I'm just saying, like after twenty six ra- or after twenty five races, when we're talking about Daytona, mm-hmm. who's going to be fighting for those spots? Those are the guys. And now there's going to be, you know, I would have put Bell with them. I guess is is what I'm saying. But like like you're talking about the start that these guys have gotten off to. Okay, looking at the official points report here, I have uh, Matza Benedetto in thirty seventh. He only has five points this season that's crazy for the first two races unbelievable and and two types of tracks too where he needs to get points because those are good tracks for him you're right you're right um tyler reddick 33rd in points william byron 29th chase briscoe 27th eric jones 26th alex bowman is 23rd in points alex bowman is behind jamie mcmurray in points (laughs) mcmurray didn't run didn't run today yeah um i mean there's a lot of good guys right now where you know, obviously there's a long way to go, 24 regular season races left. But you, again, underscoring our point, you really, it really may one of these, may be one of these situations where you have to win. Um, now, I don't think there'll be 16 different winners still. I, I still don't think there, there'll be that many, even though this has been off to an unpredictable start. But I do think that the, it, you know, you could have maybe. Uh, you can maybe have 14 winners and only two points, two spots on points, right? And that's that's a huge, massive game changer. It is. And, you know, I always say if you start getting off to a bad start to begin the year, you get in scramble mode. And while you can still obtain points through stages and everything else, it, it changes your mindset. It changes how you race. And these things tend to snowball. And we've seen it many times where guys get off to bad starts and they can't shake it. And the next thing you know, they're on the wrong side of the cut line come the end of the regular season, and you're going, how did this happen? And we're looking at some guys now that are well down in points that we thought were going to be in the playoffs rather comfortably, and you're looking at their seasons going, are are they going to be good enough to overcome this? Are they going to be good enough to find a way to win a race? Is Eric Almirola, who's kind of down in points, good enough to win a race at some point to overcome this slow start? I don't know if he is. Well, yeah, and you're really, I mean, I don't think the pressure is necessarily on right now, you know, cause somebody could recover yeah. and, and, you know, you, you think to yourself, okay, look, we've got Homestead coming up. Uh, you know, you've the, the real season quote unquote in some ways hasn't started yet. I mean, you could argue that, or you could say that to yourself, um, you know, things like that. But at the same time, I mean, the, the pressure on these guys is going to build and build, especially if you're, you're on a, a team that had high expectations and you're thinking, Oh my gosh, you know, we've got to win. We've got to win because, I mean, it, you could have a situation like legitimately where somebody who is 10th in the point standings doesn't have a win ends up missing it, um, depending on how things shake out. And I know we're projecting way down the road here, but if this road course was crazy, who's to say that other road courses won't be crazy and produce unexpected winners? If Who's to say the Bristol Dirt Race won't produce one? Um, you have two more super speedways in the regular season. Um you know, there's, there's a lot, and that's not counting like say a fuel mileage race in a mile and a half track or, you know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of, usually there's, there's There's a lot of wild card tracks out there still. Yes. And, and like a Michael McDowell or a a Christopher Bell winning usually. Okay. Like if that happens, it's, it's scattered in, Oh, it's August or something, right? Like somebody wins a, a rain shortened race at Pocono or whatever. Like, but this is to start off the season like this, this is really a tone setter. I think, for how the year could go and I'm just fascinated to see what happens from here because this is not the start that I mean you can claim that you predicted this and somebody out there but there's no way I I, I would be uh, no I'm sorry nobody predicted this no no I mean like I said we, we kind of thought that Christopher Bell at some point was going to get a win he's a very good driver with a great team but to, to come here at Daytona on the road course no you would have said Bristol dirt race I said sure can totally see it I could maybe I'm going to predict that um it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds next week. I'm really interested to see what happens when we get to Homestead next week. And because to me, this really kind of is going to be a good indication of who's where. We're going to really see where teams kind of stack up over the offseason on our first true oval track where, you know, aerodynamics and all this other stuff matter. And who's good, who's not, who's got work to do. Is Hendrick as good as we think they're going to be? Can Kevin Harvick continue, you know, what he saw we saw last year? Can Denny Hamlin, where's Kyle Bush at? A lot of unknowns going into Homestead next week that we are going to find out. So, you know, it's interesting looking at, at the team performance overall at the road course there because 
just as in the clash, I thought that the JGR cars were, were pretty strong. They, they probably put some work in the off season into getting better on, on road courses. Right. And yeah, they did. Didn't they say that the clash, they were kind of all running different setups to kind of try to gauge what was working best. Well, I mean, today, whatever they were doing, I mean, at one point they were all in the top six. Um, and I think that, you know, I would have to be a little bit concerned if I'm Bubba Wallace there, because, you know, if, if you're running, you know, tangentially for an organization that, you know, put more effort into road courses, you're not very good at road courses and the rest of the team sort of leaving you behind there. And those are really huge points opportunities that you're not able to capitalize on. Um, you know, that's, that's going to be a problem. He's got it. He's got to pick it up at road courses. I think, um, you know, we heard the Penske guys talk about how they, they don't have it. Uh, you know, Keselowski said, look, we're behind. We're not where we want to be on road courses. And I really think you saw that big time reflected in Ryan Blaney's performance today. Um, yeah, he they, was they out they to never lunch. Had, yeah. I mean, they had, they got, you know, track position was never their friend and he was picking up a bunch of spots to begin with. He started well in the back because of what happened in the 500 was picking up a bunch of spots, was running around 15th, you know, halfway through stage one or so. and looked like he was going to be in line for, a, you know, it, it, moving up through the field like you kind of thought he would. And then he got caught up in some stuff and then just, you know, went downhill quick. So track position's tough. And the way the starting lineups are, if you have a bad race the week before um, and some of these tracks you go to, it, it can really, it, it puts you behind the eight ball to start. We saw A.J. Allmendinger today was really one of the, the few drivers, Truex two to some degree, to where was able to overcome this and they were able to pass cars. But it's tough, and you can't expect to do that all the time when you're a guy like Ryan Blaney and you don't have it or something happens. Um, it's going to be a tough day. Well, that's I was going to counter with that, what you said about Almondinger because Almondinger started uh, in the back, toward the back, uh, moved all the way up, you know, was, was in contention, had a speeding penalty, uh, has to go all the way back into the deep 30s and ends up finishing seventh. So, you know, he showed that you can come from the back. And, you know, to be fair, I mean, Keselowski, Kurt Busch, obviously they had to, to go sure. to the back. Um, yeah, pretty, they used some strategy there. Pretty decent, you know, yeah, they, they got up there because they stayed out, but they, they were able to stay up there. So, um, you know, I don't, I guess I'm not saying track position is a total excuse, but um, anyway, it's, it's, it's going to be, you know, this is before when we, when you'd have, you know, like, let's say this was Watkins Glen or Sonoma, you could just be like, all right, well, that was one race. They'll have one more road course race, or I guess, you know, once they added the Roval in, yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll make a difference. We'll worry about that later. But with so many, I mean, you've got, um, Coda road, America, uh, Indianapolis infield, um, you know, the Roval, uh, what am I, what else am I forgetting? Um, well, Watkins Glen and Sonoma, Watkins, Glen, <laughs> Sonoma, Watkins Glen, Roval, Daytona, Indy, Coda. Yeah, yeah. I think we got them all. Road America. Uh, Road America. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, it's just there's just so many more to come um, that I think it's going to be. You can't just say we can't just leave this one behind us. That's why I'm so sort of fixated on this today is just because. I think this is is just going to... Yeah, I mean, it, the game in road course racing has changed. I mean, it, it's changed years ago when you, you were able to see ringers come, road course ringers come in and they were able to kind of have, you know, they, they were have, able to put together good runs. And as the playoff format changed, the emphasis on, you know, winning races changed, teams realized you can't throw away these races anymore because it's a potential win and it could cost you down the line. And so the emphasis was to be better. And we see that all the time now. And now with even more road course racing, and I think Bubba Wallace is a great example that you use is that's a driver who, who's typically not great in these races and he's going to have to be better and have to figure this out. And that applies to other drivers who aren't good in these races are guys who aren't good at dirt. Um, you can't go to Bristol. Now, if you're a, Kyle Busch or Harvick or Keselowski, you can probably go to Bristol and just kind of shrug your shoulders and it is what it is. But if you're not somebody who typically wins a bunch of races during the regular season and kind of, you know, hasn't established themselves, there is no week where you can take off. You have to be on your game every single week. Well, last, last thought on, on sort of how this changed the point situation and stuff, but you know, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and predict right now on this podcast in week two that, these these two wins, the way the season has opened, you're going to have a very big-name driver miss the playoffs this year because not every big-name driver is going to get a win the regular season. I mean, look at Kyle Busch last year, right? He didn't win until Texas. Not everybody's going to have that great season. And if that's the case and you're just mediocre 
or even half decent and there's not enough playoff spots available on points, you're going to see a big name get left out because of the amount of winners there's going to be in this regular season. So, Can I say something? Uh-huh. That's not a hot take. That's not a hot take, though. That happens every single year the way it is. I mean, last year, Eric Jones driving for Joe Gibbs Racing. He wasn't Joe a big Racing. name. He didn't have the expectations. He, 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 I would disagree. He's coming off a year where he won the Southern 500. He's driving for Joe Gibbs Racing. No, I'm talking about it. a big name. I'm talking about... Joey Logano has missed it before. I mean, I just, I, to me, it's, we see this on a regular basis where there's a pretty, a pretty, a pretty big surprise misses the playoffs. No, but I'm what I'm saying is you're going to have the big name who will finish have finished in the top 16 in points. So good not not like a, a Logano year necessarily, but good enough to have made it under normal circumstances. But specifically, uh, these two winners to open the season, I think will will have leave someone out. And I'm talking about like, uh, you know, it could be a Keselowski, Logano, Blaney, Kyle Busch, Hamlin, Harvick, Truex, somebody that's like a legit star. Um, in the series. That's all. That's what I'm saying. But okay. I, I, to me, I almost expect it at this point, but I hear what you're saying. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, uh, Jordan, it's time yes. for your favorite game. Yes. Looking forward to this. Excited. And love this part. What cool. is your record so far? I think it's Oh, and two, but you know what, Jeff, I don't look at the record. I look at the, am I having fun? And my record in the, in the, am I having fun category is two, two and Oh, and each week, this has been a blast. And, you know, if I win this week, great. And if not, you know what? I tried hard. I gave it my haul. And, uh, you know, I'll do better next week. Here we go. This really, this really gets under my skin more than, more than anything. Uh, you're, I don't you're know why. I mean, I'm trying phoniness. to embrace something that I am trying to embrace something that you have loved for years uh, that I have dismissed. And now I'm on board. And here we are together. Kumbaya. This is awesome. Let's embrace it together, Jeff. This is fun. I wish I was back there at Daytona so that I could truly deliver the the punch to the face. But um, no social distancing. Hello. Okay. So uh, I'll be I'll be happy to go first here if you want. Or okay. Yeah. Sure. Whatever you want to do. Whatever makes you happy. I'm just happy uh, to participate oh, with you. Oh man, this baby can't get here soon <laughs> enough so that you can just. <laughs> Host the podcast yourself and not have to worry about the poll every week. I might win one, win one week. Who knows? Um, anyway, uh, listen. This is this is a tough one. This is a tough one because I think this was an entertaining race. You know, I think it was a good race, but I think that you're going to have a lot of fans who didn't like how it played out. They didn't like the fact that um, you know this rain caution set up these other cautions, and it really you know, mix things up. I think people don't have the best taste in their mouth because of that. So, um, I think you're going to, people are going to take that out in the poll, even if it's a first time winner. Um, I, I just don't see a super high rating for this, but again, I don't think it was a bad race. So I don't know. I, for some reason I'm, I'm just, I'll just go 71%. Okay, that's a reasonable number. And I understand. I think people might be put off a little bit by the the cautions and the way it was, you know, kind of things unfolded late. But again, I was entertained. I thought it was good. It was unpredictable. I'm going to go 78% because I think more often than not, people are going to look at this and say, this was good. This is what we wanted to see in a road course. We wanted to see a kind of a surprise winner. We wanted to see a rough and tumble race. This delivered today. Okay. I think you're, you, you raised some good points and I'm probably, maybe I'm, I'm doubting people too much and they'll, they'll, they'll vote it higher, but, um, all right. So 71% for me, 78% for you. Um, what, before we, you know, move on, what about Ty Gibbs, man? Jeez. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) My, can I, I'm just gonna be honest. My opinion of Ty Gibbs. I don't know if I really had an opinion of Ty Gibbs. I didn't really think what he accomplished in Arca was really hard to gauge. I mean, he's won a bunch of races, but he's also driving for, you know, you know, Toyota equipment, in the Arca series, and it's really hard to to, to decide if that, that's driver or car or what. So my expectations for him were really muted. And man, to see him go out there yesterday and the moves he was putting on and how he did it, I walked away impressed. I mean, this, this kid went out there and took it. He was he delivered. Yeah, I mean, same here. Like you know, you you see him doing so well in Arca, 
but we've seen so many people like you get, you know, it now not everybody does well, you know, very well in, in the best equipment arca. We've seen some people, but flop, there's a but, long list of guys who've won races. Stephen Wallace, <laughs> sure, <laughs> um, David yeah, Stremme, yeah. you know, John West Townley, I believe. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, so you, you look at it and you're like, well, I, you know, it's, I can't really say how good he is until he gets in, in the national series and starts getting some experience. Well, then he goes out and, and I think what's really remarkable about it. And, and everybody kept saying this, this stat about, Oh, you know, he's the sixth driver to win in their, in their series to be, debut and stuff, but they were counting guys, um, who had cup experience. Um, you know, they counted Kurt Busch after he'd already been a cup driver for, for years. He wins in his Xfinity he series championship. Debut. Yeah. It's like, okay, this, that's not really a fair comparison. I mean, to me, the real comparison is he's the first guy to win his Xfinity series debut without, uh, a cup start. And he doesn't even have a national series start other than that. Yeah. So, um, not even a, a truck road course. start in a road course, yeah. not a fluke, I, not a super yeah, speedway. Yeah, and I know Austin Cindric's car was damaged, but Cindric is a darn good racer, and that car was still pretty fast. And he he just you know look at the moves he made. That was a driver who was very aggressive, who picked his spot, and he had every reason to. And you know, you, you talk to people about Ty, you know, and, I, and I've talked to a lot of people about Ty. Is you know what the questions about him is the maturity. He's 18 years old. You've never been in this situation before. How do you handle it? He had every reason to, to fold yesterday, and he didn't. You know, he handled it incredibly well. I mean, you got a guy like Austin Cindric chasing you, and he, he didn't make, he didn't turn a bad wheel. Yeah, I I, you know, eighteen years old. I mean, I I think about some of the stuff I did when I was eighteen and how I acted at times, and um, I I really don't think you know who cares if he had a bad interview the week before or whatever. Like, jeez, cut the guy some slack. Yeah. I mean, I I did a lot of stupid stuff when I was eighteen. It's it's. If you think back to that, and I'm not saying like you can just totally, you know, you know, go like run someone over with a car and be like, oh, he's 18. But I mean, you know, the stuff that comes out of your mouth at that at that age, I mean, geez, like like it's you know i i really I thought don't, I, yeah. I thought he handled himself really well post-race yesterday i mean you can say what you want about the interview the week before and what he said about daytona but i i thought he handled himself very well uh post-race yesterday yeah no i i totally agree i totally agree with that um really quite the quite the weekend for joe gibbs racing overall because you know obviously um to have sort of the you know the future there you know and, and have people get excited about him but also I mean, how many people were sort of questioning it? And I'm sure me included where I'm, you know, I've, I've been pretty high on Eric Jones and said, Hey, you know, I wish he would have gotten more of a chance, uh, at at JGR. He got cast to the side for Christopher Bell. And, you know, I, I kept saying, Hey, isn't, isn't Eric Jones younger and all the stuff. Right. I mean, um, so for, for Eric, for, uh, Christopher Bell to come out and win so quickly, uh, after his move to the big team, um, really, I mean, that, that really justifies a lot of what JGR and, and Toyota have been trying to do. Um, you know, so that's, that's a huge, that's a huge thing for, for them, for the organization, for their, you know, overall plan, big picture plan. So, uh, it was a big, big weekend for, for JGR. Big win. And I think it shows that their future is very bright. And then in the immediate, they've got, I think it's fair to say Truex, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin are all legit championship contenders. And then you're looking, you know, five years down the road and you've got, you know, Christopher Bell, you've got Ty Gibbs, you've got a Harrison Burton who's off to a very good start in the Xfinity Series coming off a great rookie year. Um, Joe Gibbs' future is pretty, pretty good, to, you know, five, ten years down the road as well. Yeah, yeah. Any final thoughts, uh, Jordan, before we move on here? I think it's been a, it's a great start to the season. Two wild races, uh, two unpredictable races. Um, I, I mentioned it earlier. I'm excited to go to Homestead, see what that's like, get really back to a true oval, see where everybody kind of stands, and start getting into the rhythm of the season a little bit. I think it's going to be exciting. And uh, you look at this schedule. We've talked a lot about it, but this schedule, the way it sets up, there are a lot of great tracks, and I think there's going to be – I think 2021 is going to be a very good year. Well, listen, everybody, uh, thank you so much for listening to this part of the teardown. Now, we have a bonus for you here. Um, some of you probably saw in your podcast feeds this week um, on the teardown that we dropped in a special bonus episode uh, of a new podcast, The Artist and the Athlete. And uh, we are now going to interview our friend, Lindsay Zarniak, who is the host of this new podcast, where they match up um, an athlete with a famous musician and have them on at the same time. And Lindsay, um, we 
talked to her all about how this started and um, how what her techniques are to get these people together and um, how she finds them and matches them up and all this stuff. So really fun conversation. We wanted to include that at the end of this episode so uh, you guys could hear a little bit something different. This sounds like a really cool podcast and um, we're anxious to hear it ourselves. So um, that's all for the post-race portion. And now we're going to jump into our conversation with Lindsay Zarniak. All right, everybody, we're now joined by our friend, Lindsay Zarniak, and we're so excited, Lindsay, because this podcast project that you have, super cool, super unique. Um, I mean, first of all, like the idea of pairing an athlete and a music artist together um, in the same podcast, not just like, oh, sometimes we'll have these people on, sometimes we'll have yeah. these people on, but like together is pretty unique. Um, what, how did this, how did you come up with this concept? Thank you. It's awesome to be with you guys. I, um, so ironically, the, the seed for this was planted actually by combining two sports folks. And I have always been really interested in music. And so I will explain that in a second. But uh, several years ago, I did an interview with Chris Cooley, who was playing for the Washington football team now, and Dale Earnhardt Jr., because Dale, obviously being a huge Washington fan, Chris agreed to get on a plane to go to a racetrack to sit in Dale's motor coach and do an interview with the two of them, right? And we did that, I did that for the station I was working for in DC. And so that's why it made sense for us because of the football player. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was watching the interview unfold, you know, I went in there and I had my questions I thought I was gonna ask them. And I saw Dale get excited and Chris in a way that I have never seen interview subjects. And it was because of the way that they were jumping on what the other person said, right? And it was like, okay, this is, so I was getting a glimpse into, wow, what piques the interest really of Dale and what, what is making Chris want to know more about X, you know, with racing. So to me, that's, that's when I started thinking, I want to do that. And then somewhere down the line, it was like, I want to do that with artists because at ESPN, when I was hosting sports center, you know, you would have an occasional artist that comes through like little Wayne or whoever it is. And the process between music and sports, I think is uniquely similar. And there are a lot of things that I think are super relatable. And I think also relatable to you and me and the average Joes out there, you know? So that's really where, where it came to fruition. I would say the idea to really pair the artist and the athlete was when I was at ESPN, I was like, okay, I want to keep this in the back of my mind. And if we could ever do this and really do it, you know, do it well. And that's when, you know, partnering with Sony, that that's been the biggest thing because they are extremely helpful, obviously, in the music side and helping make that come together because it's been a juggernaut, you know, to actually see these pairings come to life. So it's all, it's been interesting to see how that's happened because it's kind of different in every, every instance. And I want to ask you about those pairings. You've got, yeah. you know, Clayton Kershaw and uh, Brad Paisley. You've got Danica Patrick and Alanis Morissette. Um, how do you pair these athletes and singers together? Because it's quite a mix. Yeah. So we knew Brad was a huge Dodgers fan. So we thought, okay, maybe Brad would do it. Maybe. And Clayton, you know, I've interviewed him at ESPN several times, but when they won the world series and it was like, well, wait a minute, if Brad is a diehard, so maybe we, and what I've found and what we've discovered trying to really work as a team in this is that when they hear about the opportunity to sit down with one another, I think it piques their interest. Right. So then it's like, just Matt, like lining up the dots and connecting the, the logistics of it. So that's been really helpful. Um, Alanis and Danica, that was a situation where Danica told us maybe who her top three musicians are, who she listened to, who she loves. Alanis was at the top of that list. And I was thinking, yeah, right. Like that's going to happen, you know? And then <laughs> sure enough, just because I was like, this would be amazing, but Alanis was really open to it. And I discovered in that conversation, the reason Alanis is open to it is probably because she has identified Danica as a woman, even though like they had met once before, but she identifies her as someone who is very similar, you know, in terms of the strength and, and all that. So it's just, it's been really interesting to watch. Well, and that was a question too, is when you're talking to the athlete and the, in the, in the, the singer, are you finding a lot of similarities and that those two are just kind of relating on a different level than, you know, than we can, that we may be able to? 
Yeah. Well, I think it's really different for each episode too. And on that one specifically, yes, we started that conversation. I was at Danica's house, Alanis zoomed in. She joined us via zoom, not zooming in on her. <laughs> um, and out of the gate, these two started talking. And at some point I was like, I need a dictionary because the words they are throwing around are like, they bonded so much over spiritual things. And both of them are so into, you know, like finding their best selves and self-reflection and all that work. And there's a lot of heavy, heavy stuff that goes into that for both of them talking about childhood trauma and, you know, like really deep details about Danica and her racing career and, and why she started it and what she thought about when she was in her retirement, which was one of, I thought the most interesting pieces because I hadn't heard her describe like how that came to be. And Alanis on the flip side, talking about, you know, unpacking childhood situations where she felt like her, you know, she wasn't allowed to be angry and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it got really deep, but it also, um, you know, they connect in other ways too, like really light ways. Like there were, they're talking about what it's like to date people in the public eye. And that got pretty funny. And, you know, it's like, so that's what I'm finding. Also though, when there's someone who's a fan, like watching Danica explain when she started listening to Alanis's music and watching Eddie Vedder explain why he fell in love with the Cubs. It was like, and Brad Paisley, like with the Dodgers, it's the same type of enthusiasm that you see them from a totally different side. It's like the fanboy and the fangirl side, which I'm not used to seeing, you know? So it, it just brings with it a certain energy I found that's just really unique, you know? So you, you mentioned Eddie Vedder and you have him uh, in an episode with Anthony Rizzo um, and, and so many great combinations. I mean, the Avid brothers and Jimmy Johnson, um, yeah. Luke Combs, Luke Keekley, like, journalistically, how do you, how do you approach these conversations? Cause I assume, look, you, you have great connections, obviously in the sports industry, you've been around, but I assume that you do, it's not like you're, you're like, Oh yeah. Hey, Eddie Vedder. Maybe you are. Um, but like, no, I, I mean, I felt like I was going to hyperventilate because I'm, I'm sitting there <laughs> looking at someone, you know, and honestly it felt the same with Alanis. I'm like, you have no idea. My 11 year old self, my 14, 15 year old self would be like, you're doing what, you know, it's just, so it's in some sense, it's surreal. Um, I have found journalistically, you know, and I think you guys will relate to this because I, I think racing is a very difficult sport to cover in terms of it's challenging in really good ways. You know what I mean? Um, this type of format, it's been really, it's presented like unexpected things for me because there are so many things I would want to ask just one of them, you know, like I could think of a million things I'd want to know from Eddie better and a million things I could ask Anthony Rizzo that I'd be fascinated in. But when they're together, what I found is, yeah, you can do that. Uh, but then if you're going down that road, with one of them, the other person's just sitting there. So really the magic is in the connection and that's not a surprise, but I've learned and I keep learning as we do these, it's like, you have to go into it thinking, okay, here are what the tent poles are that I think would probably be the connectors. And here are the themes that I see in both of you from what I've read or from what I know or from covering you before, if that's the case. And inevitably it's been like, yeah, some of those you drill down and it's like, it gets like, whoa, that's a great story. Sometimes it takes a total left turn. Um, you know, like Brad and, um, Brad and Clayton bonded in a way over they really got into this conversation of fame and how fame is not enough. And both of them, I think, feel this really sense of purpose and needing to do philanthropy. So they talked a little bit about where that came from in both of their lives. And I thought that was really fasc fascinating. And Jimmy Johnson was kind of talking about the same thing. And the Avet brothers at one point, I remember in this conversation that they were like, well, Jimmy, you must feel that same way when you're about to race or, or vice versa. And I was like, that's that's really interesting. Like, I think it's great when they start making connections and if I'm kind of like a fly on the wall. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if that answered your question. No, you, make a, you make a good point though. And that was actually, I was gonna ask you too, is, I mean, you're like a fly on the wall sometimes because yeah. they're just kind of, they, you, you just kind of sit back and let them kind of take over and, and start talking amongst themselves. Yeah, because I think that that's, that's really what it is. Like, honestly, that's really what it is. It's like you, that's what I want. I want these conversations because I think really a lot of it is about discovery and just learning. And I, it's part of the reason that I like this concept and I've thought about it for a long time. It's like, I would love to know what these two people 
like, what do they talk about, you know, and what do they think is interesting and what are they, how do they do what they do? Because they obviously have achieved the highest level of success for what they can do. So I'm, I love that. If I can kind of like just back out of it, like an example is Ray Lewis and Kirk Franklin, the gospel legend. So we just, I did them last week and Ray Lewis started diving down the path of um, not having a father and not having a father who ever said, I love you, you know, in his life, his father was still eventually in his life, but, and they both started talking about that for a really long time. And about, they said specifically, you know, as black men, what that impact is like. And so we got into this big conversation, but I, I truly wasn't even chiming in and they were just vibing off one another because it was evident that Ray had sort of looked at Kirk as kind of like a, a mentor, you know, for years. So some of those conversations, I'm so to, totally pumped to be a part of. Some of them, I know my lane, you know, and my lane <laughs> is like, okay, you know, it's you, you have to realize when you're just more like traffic cop or just steering or just letting it fly. Cause I think that really is it. It's like them discovering together what, what their story, where their stories intersect is really where the gold is. It sounds like, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, especially to start off, it seems like, you know, you have an idea and, and you're able to use your connections and get these people. And so they're, they're really obviously like enthusiastic and willing to, to jump in and stuff. What, you know, down the road as you continue this, because obviously it seems like a great concept, it's going to be able to, to go on for a while. How do you, how do you approach it when, you know, you, you might find somebody that's not as open or you need to drag more out of them, or maybe they're not connecting in that way. Like, you know, we've all had situations in interviews where it's just like, oh my gosh, like, how do I get something out of this person? Yeah. Like, how do or you're you like, where am I anymore? Right. <laughs> like moments where you're like, I don't even know where we left off. Right. Like, yeah, sure. Like, how do you, how do you battle that? Or, you know, get things back on track with somebody, especially, if, you know, you don't, maybe you don't know them. If it's a, a musician, you don't know super well, you're not, you're not familiar with their interview style or something. Like, how do you, how do you rebound from that? I think that's a great question. I haven't had it like that really yet where it's been a circumstance like that. I will say the closest I came to that is probably Luke Combs and Luke Keekley. And I think the reason why is because when Luke Combs sat down, he is uh, possibly Keekley's biggest fan, you know? And I knew that going into it, that we knew he was a Panthers fan, but we really drilled in to find out, okay, which Panther is, makes the most sense. And it was in fact, okay, he loves Luke Keekley. Like that's the person that he, so when, when Combs sat down and first what was funny about that, this is so crazy. They both sat down and they, they both in their homes were sitting in front of stuffed turkeys. <laughs> so Luke, Luke Combs had a stuffed turkey on his wall. And then I realized Keekly had, it was, it wasn't stuffed. It was the feathers from the first turkey that he had shot. And at first, so I'm like, this is the weirdest thing. It's Luke and Luke and their turkeys. Um, but when Combs sat down, me and Keekly had been just kind of vibing and we're talking as we were waiting and Combs, I knew he had been doing interviews all day and he sat down though. And he was, he was like, just very kind of stoic. And I was thinking, oh no, I'm like, is he tired? Is he, what am I? And so I did have to think a little bit about what was it? And then truly once we really started talking football and it was kind of like, all it took was one of Keekley's answers that then identified what that point was, right? Like to your point, it's like, so he started talking about something football related and Combs lit up and it was like, he then started, well, wait a minute. I want to know about that. And I was like, okay, so that's where it is for him. Like we're, you're talking football and you, you know, and I think, I think once you get to that initial connection, then it's easy to get to the side. I also think, and you guys know about this, like transparency, I think is, is great, right? Like in interviews, I think this is also a format where I'm not trying to shock anyone. I'm not trying to pull a fast one at all because, and that's very important also, like you don't, you know, but you do obviously want to get really interesting things and see what they're willing to connect on and share. Um, but so, you know, I think, I don't really have a point with what I'm saying, but I'm, I'm kind of like realizing <laughs> as I'm talking, I just think going into it and sometimes it's okay to be like, Hey, look, I really want to talk about this. 
you know, and let's see if we're going to go there. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, there's a fine line too, to talking about things that might not be the most fun thing for someone to talk about. Um, who, who do you want to see between, if you could pick an athlete and you could pick an, uh, a, a singer, who do you want, who do you want to mash together and, and sit in and do these interviews with? I mean, there, there are so many that I've thought of um, musically. I would love to do Dave Matthews. Um, I have a couple of thoughts based on people that love him that I would love to see happen, but um, I would love to do a conversation with Nick Saban and I, okay. If I'm being honest, the one conversation that I really want is I know Nick is a diehard Eagles fan. And so that's one that I've been trying to figure out because that, that would be a dream conversation for me because I just think to hear anything that Saban would share about his experience because you know music is very important to him and I know that there's a story there where I think he's you know he's certainly gone to their concerts and I think he's even there was a bouncing story or something I'm not sure anyway um so that would be a dream situation interesting you know Saban's an interesting guy to talk to too because he can he'll take over the conversation but he adds so much to it it's just you just want to sit back and uh, hear what he's saying yes Yes. Yeah. And that, and that's like another challenge of this. I feel like is sometimes it runs off on one tangent and you're like, that's what I was saying. Like, okay, well, wait, where were we? <laughs> but that doesn't really matter, but here's where I really for sure want to get to. But so, yeah. So it's just, it's an interesting format for sure. So that's one. And then, you know, women, like I would love to have Lindsay Vaughn as part of a conversation. Um, you know, and the, the artist, I'm not sure, but I think like Alicia Keys or, you know, people like that. So it's limitless. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. I mean, you just got to get them to say yes. How about you guys? I don't know. Well, it's, it's, this is what's so fascinating to me is because like you've opened this door to where, I mean, look, you, you get into sports journalism, you've been around journalism your whole life. I mean, your dad at USA Today and stuff and I mean, when I was at USA Today, people were like, I remember Lindsay Zarniak running around the newsroom as a kid and so funny. Like and that. No. Oh God, um, I loved it. You know, it, you, you know, so you grow up with this whole sports path and then to open this door to sort of the music path too, that you said sort of like limitless. I mean, um, is there any, like when, when you're seeing these people, you know, I guess let me back up because I think being in sports for so long, you don't, you, at some point you lose sort of like the butterflies or nerves to talk to somebody like you would earlier yeah. in your career. You know, that it's, to me, it's just, no matter who it is, um, it's just like, okay, they're, they're a person. I've been around enough athletes to know how they tick or whatever, right? But to me, being in sports my whole life, the sort of like celebrity slash uh, musician stuff, like the big names, like that's still like, wow, that's pretty cool to me. Um, so are there any nerves on your end when, you know, these mega names, like, you know, to be able to talk to somebody like that? Like, do you, do you have butterflies? Or are you just such a pro now that it's just everybody's, you're, you're just cool with it, you know? Oh, no, I mean, I do absolutely butterflies. Absolutely. And I, with, with Danica and Alanis, that was like double because I, this is going to sound strange, but it's like, A, you know that they're both super strong women. So it's not like you're scared of them, but it's like, there is just a, you know, I'm like, okay, there's that. And then, yeah, like, so I've, I think Danica is amazing, but I've covered her, but still like, that's a little intimidating, but Alanis added a completely different level so much so that I, I found out quickly in that one, like it is possible to like over-prepare for something because you, you know, like you can get your head so much in the, in the weeds of like, oh my God, there, wait, I forgot about that song. And there's this song. And I'm like, what's the meaning of that? And um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like going into that one, I, I couldn't have been more excited, but I truly, like when that was done, I was just like, okay, that was really fascinating. I feel like I just ran a marathon and had a great therapy session and I really need a drink, you know? <laughs> because, it, you know, there's a lot of also, if I'm sharing like with Alanis and this is something that, um, that is not really part of this, but for me, it's, I think it's impacted me and the way I'm doing this is there's a lot of like my, my personal history that's in her music is like, 
I was telling someone, I listened to Alana songs and especially when I was prepping for the interview and I was going back through her catalog and it's like, there are songs I remember exactly where I was when I was first listening to them. And, and it was actually like conjuring up emotions that I think I felt at the time. And I was like, whoa, like, what is that feeling? <laughs> like, why am I I'm like, so, and the same thing I would say, especially for Eddie Vedder, um, because, you know, yeah, you know, like you cover athletes and, and then you start to understand their story because whether they share it with you or you're reading about it. And I don't know, like he's someone that I really admire and going back through his story, it's like, I can just tell that he's just a really classy, awesome guy who like gives back a ton. And I don't know. So yeah, I get, I get nerves all the time. Um, constantly, constantly. We talked about being starstruck a little bit. And by the way, Jeff got starstruck this past weekend at the Daytona 500 because he interviewed, With, who did you interview Jeff? Tyler Yahweh. Yeah. He was very excited. A rapper. How was that? <laughs> I, he was pretty cool. Like he was like super, super into NASCAR. He was like really uh, excited about being a part of it. He did like a remix for uh, like a remix of one of his songs for NASCAR. And I just thought, man, this is cool. Like this, I've listened to some of this guy's songs, you know, like I, I just thought it was kind of dope, you know, I don't know. But isn't that weird? Like why, why it's like, why do you get starstruck? Is it because you don't know them or do you, I wonder, and I'm maybe for me, I've thought about this. Is it because I know sports. I love music. I'm passionate mm -hmm. about music, but I don't know the music world. Like I know the sports world and the sports I cover. I don't know what it is. that makes us starstruck in moments like that. Well, I was wondering about that too. Is there a time during these episodes where the athlete or the artist got starstruck with the other person and it kind of took a minute to kind of work through that? So that's kind of what I think happened with Luke Holmes where I was realizing after the fact, I'm like, wait a minute, he sat down and like, that's kind of what that was. Like he was, it's kind of like, you're waiting until you have that comfortable moment. Not to say that he was apprehensive or, or shy, but I think that's, you know, you know, it's kind of like, it takes a few minutes to find your footing. And that's also how I feel. I feel like I've had a decent interview and in, that it's gone well when I'm able to sort of lose myself in it. And you guys are probably like this too. Like you've done the prep. So, you know, you like know it now, you know, and you know what you really want to hit. Maybe you have a piece of paper with like the bullet points of what you don't want to leave without asking. But it's like, if you can just kind of be in it and sit in it and be a part of that conversation and then just gently nudge it in a direction, that's when I feel like it's worked, you know? Um, hmm. But that, yeah, so that was the one moment, but it wasn't so obvious. Um, I will say Eddie Vedder came close just because of how genuinely like the guy freaking lights up when he talks about the Cubs, lights up. And it's <laughs> like obsessed, obsessed yeah. but obsessed to the point that like, he was so great. He would have sat on that call, I think, and talked baseball for like 10 more minutes. You know what I mean? Like it was Rizzo, Rizzo had a, a, a something in his schedule and it was just, he was so into it. Um, and I'm trying to think about some of the others, but it's been cool to see them being complimentary with each other too. Like that was a thing that Avet singled out Jimmy for something. And I remember Jimmy saying like, that's really, he was like, you know, you can talk about me all day long, but he really appreciated what they said. So, yeah. So Lindsay, tell us about what, what's the rollout going to be like for these? Is this going to be like a weekly thing or, or, you know, on occasion when you have it, are you going to try to stick to a timeline? What do you, what do you see as yeah. your vision for that? So it's every Tuesday a new one's released. And so it is, um, we had put out Brad Clayton and I, I said, Brad Clayton, see Brad Paisley. And Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> there you go. That's a new, um, but that's how I should title the episodes. Um, that was number one. And so the next one will be Danica and Alanis and they will be, um, 15 episodes. So in that role consecutively each Tuesday, and, you know, some of them, we have some fun behind the scenes stuff to share to, to kind of support it on social, but um, yeah, that's, that is the plan. So cool. it's super fun. No, I really appreciate you guys talking about it. Cause it's, it's a fun project for sure. No, that's I mean, we're, we're very interested. I mean, it's, it's just cool because I really like in your career, how you approach it from the journalism aspect. I just feel like you have such a good journalism background which I mean, that's maybe code for taking a shot at some other TV people or something that I've seen, which I don't mean necessarily, but I really, I guess it just increases my respect when I see somebody on TV and I know they have like the solid 
um, sort of the basics and the background and they know what they're, they know what real journalism is, I guess. So it just increases my respect is all I'm saying. Well, thank you. That's so nice. I really appreciate that. I do. It's, um, well, this has definitely been a new like lesson, you know, in that for sure, because there, I think starting this, there are a few things that I thought like, okay, we'll go in and we'll talk about this. And very quickly you realize, well, that person doesn't want to talk about this. <laughs> so you got to figure <laughs> out what they both, you know? Um, but it is funny. Cause you mentioned my dad and like, he, you know, my dad is my, he's like my call, my person. Like I, I still do that with him. I'll be like, Hey, here's what I'm thinking. Like, what do you think about? I just did that with an episode I was doing. I was like, journalistically, what do you think about that? And it, so that is funny that you mentioned that about USA Today because he is, he's very much an influence still. So thank you. That's really very cool. cool. Congratulations, Lindsay. This is, I look forward to listening. Thank you guys. Seriously. Congratulations to you too. Thank this you. Fun. Thanks, Thanks for having me here now. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for joining us.